Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another podcast episode here at Boca, and uh, I'm joined by a brand new guest. Although Heidi, it was it was a funny thing when when I knew that we were going to do this interview, I was racking my brain because I know that I've been a guest on your podcast previously, and I was like, have I had her on the podcast? I feel like we'd had conversations somehow. Somehow we're connected over time somewhere. But welcome to the show, Heidi Thompson. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you were on a while ago. Well, and and you have a podcast, I'll just go ahead and mention this at the outset, called Evolve Your Wedding Business. And we'll link to it in the show notes uh, at Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. For those of you listening in, or if you're using a a podcast player, an app, uh, you might be able to find the show notes there in the app as well. But we'll link to that in the show notes so that you can listen to Heidi and I was saying to Heidi before we got started, it's nice having a podcast host on the show because I'm going to get, hopefully, in most cases anyway, good audio. You've got great audio. This is going to sound good today, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, I, let's just kind of jump right into conversation because we're going to get into a bit of a heavy topic, one that, oddly, Haley, who heads up production at Boca and heads up our digital marketing, she was like, you know, we haven't actually covered this this topic yet. And and it's weird to think about. We've had, we've done over 300 episodes and haven't somehow gotten into the practical steps of creating a good marketing plan. We're going to dig into that topic. It's a loaded one uh, here in just a little bit. But to begin with, let's talk about your brand position. Now, unlike a lot of the, the guests that I have on the podcast, you're not an active photographer, correct? No, I'm not. So, but you've been in the wedding industry, the event industry for on and off anyway, for years now, and you have quite a bit of experience in that realm. What is your company or your brand's brand position? How do you stand out from the rest who are in kind of the educational space in this regard? Yeah. So the way I describe Evolve Your Wedding Business is I help wedding professionals grow their businesses without going crazy in the process. I think that's an important caveat. And I feel very strongly that you can have a business you love and a life you love, and you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. You don't have to be a martyr for your business. Oh, that's good. And that, that that's I like that particularly because it coincides well with a lot of what Boca is about, this idea that you can run your business but still have a uh, have time at the end of the day for the significant people in your life and maybe even just to watch Netflix if that's what really matters to you. But yeah, the, the idea that you don't have to go crazy in the process. And I like that. And and I mean, frankly, your your brand, the name of your brand on its own is almost a position statement, right? Evolving your wedding business. This is what you're about. You're helping those who are in this event space develop their business. It speaks for itself. I like that. I like the simplicity and, and again, the conciseness of that. And on the homepage, there is a very great example of a, a, a call to action, which is something that a lot of photographers on their websites don't 
consider even implementing. And I would have been one that was probably, uh, it, well, not probably, definitely part of that group. But you say, want to grow your wedding business, register for the free How to Squash Overwhelm with the Marketing Plan Training and make marketing your wedding business easier and more effective. Sign up now. I mean, that's a very simple question, which poses a potential problem, right? So, and, and this is something I have a, I have talked with Haley, who again, heads up our digital marketing for Photographer's Edit for the Boca podcast. We're getting ready to launch another brand. Uh, she's helping with that as well. But we talk about the significance of presenting a problem and then providing a solution to that. And you do that wonderfully there, right, right there in the front of your homepage. Thank you so much. Yeah, that is, I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, regardless of what kind of business you run, because we are all in the business of solving problems. You know, we may not be saving the world, we may not be curing cancer, but we're still having problems that are in front of our ideal clients that we're solving. And we have to really call those out to show that we understand them in our copy. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, again, overly complicated, which is a great thing. I mean, do you want to grow your wedding business? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then and then once you pose that question and somebody can relate to it, then they're naturally going to read more. So you give just a little bit more text, not five paragraphs about what food you like to eat, but just very simply what how you're going to solve that potential problem or that problem for them. And then there's a button that calls them to action. Sign up now. Pretty straightforward. Um, so this is a great example for those of you listening in. I, I know I spend a lot of time talking about the significance of a brand position and also the importance of simple communication, right? Not, not cramming your website full of text that gets in the way of converting a potential client. This is a great example of a very simple, clear brand position. Also a great call to action to provide a solution to the problem that your potential client may be facing. And there are ways that you can kind of uh, twist this and 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 tweak it and adjust it to make it relevant to your particular business model. But it's a great example for us. So thanks for starting us off that way, Heidi. Um, let's jump to the next question, though, and talk to me about a piece of advice that you would share with a fellow business owner. Um, you've been an entrepreneur now for how many years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, in this business since 2012, for that, since about 2009, Okay, so we'll just call it a decade, which is yeah. which is pretty cool. What would be the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur so far that you'd be most apt to share with a fellow entrepreneur? The one that keeps coming up a lot lately among people that I work with and people in my audience is this idea of intention and really asking yourself anytime you're doing something why you're doing it. And if there isn't a clear intention, if there isn't a clear reason behind it, it's probably not worth your time. Hmm. That's really good. It's funny you say that too, because I was just recording some content earlier for an educational course for another community and talking about the significance of a big picture view. This is an idea we talk a lot about here in the podcast, the idea of overarching set of goals that drive everything that we do. And the cool thing about having that so-called big picture view is that it it acts as a filter, which is exactly what you're just talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Because then you don't have to make the decision of, do I want to do this? Should I do this? It's, does this make sense based on what I'm trying to achieve? No, okay, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And and, and this is also not to say that your, your kind of bigger picture goals aren't going to potentially change over time, but it's also, and I'll speak, I'll raise my own hand here. I'll be the guilty one. I find it very easy to to be distracted by kind of the next shiny thing 
I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that, that's a cool thing. I might go after that, or maybe I want to do that or do this thing or that. Doing that on occasion, like maybe once a year, maybe that, that uh, instead of New Year's resolutions, just maybe taking time each year to evaluate and assess where you're at and making slight shifts in your course, that makes sense. But along the way, during the year, instead of worrying about that uh, and trying every single thing that comes along, having that very clear and distinct big picture view that enables you to filter out the stuff that's not relevant is so important. It means that you'll have a life at the end of the day because you won't be distracted by everything. Absolutely. And you know, what you brought up there is being intentional about it too. It's that you, I really think you're less likely to be distracted by things when you know that they have a home. So you know that whether it's like a 90 day plan and you're revisiting it in 90 days and you're going to review those things, you have a place to put them. Or, you know, if we're talking about batching for your time, you know, there is a day where you're going to dedicate to these things. So it doesn't have to sit in your brain. Hmm. That's good. Ah, this has been, this has been very helpful, very practical conversation so far. Talk to me about time though. We were just talking about time. How do you, is there something that you do in your day-to-day or week-to-week workflow that enables you to do more than just sit in front of the computer, that you have time outside of work? Is there a a tip or trick you can share? Yeah. So I am one of these people who (laughs) no amount of accomplishment is good enough. I'm always going to push myself harder and it gets to a point where it's stupid (laughs) and I have to rein it in. And uh, one of the ways that I successfully been able to do that is by doing this really, really simple exercise every day of what are my three most important things? So not most urgent, not most pressing, but most important things to move me closer to my goals. And then when I complete those things, I can say, all right, this day has been a success and I can stop or I can keep going. And then that gives me an option at least. Yeah, but if if you do those things and you know you've accomplished something that ideally has moved your business forward, you don't have to you don't have to stress about working ten hours, twelve hours that day in order to feel like you accomplished something. Yeah, if you can do it in three, do it in three and be done with it. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I like that. Talk to me about a self help book, maybe business book, uh, audio book or otherwise that you've read, listened to that's made a really big impact on your life. Can I give you a podcast because yeah. it's way more encompassing than a book? Okay, so uh, James Wedmore has a podcast called the Mind Your Business Podcast. And okay. James is the only person who has ever been able to get me on board with a lot of mindset stuff because he also approaches it from a very pragmatic and very scientific, I want to know how this works kind of perspective. And that has definitely helped me grow because I think, you know, inevitably we all hit a certain ceiling and the reason that happens is because we're in our own way. So then the work becomes learning how to get out of your own way, learning how to let yourself succeed more. But you said he has a way of communicating the the significance of those principles, not just as like his own opinion, but with some scientific backing. And not just as like, the universe loves you. And I'm like, that's shut up. No, that's dumb. <laughs> I, I'm not going to buy into that kind of way. Some people do and that's fine. And I kind of wish I could, but I can't connect with something on that, you know, 
kind of super woo woo spiritual level because that's not who I am. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a conversation in of itself. But I will at least say that I think there is I find it quite it's such a cliche word, but fascinating the the possibilities or the possibility of what seem like almost kind of hippie ideas, right? These supernatural ideas, as you, as you termed it, the woo-woo ideas that I have a feeling because we're beginning to, science is actually beginning to back up some of these things that for the longest time we thought were just kind of crazy. I wonder how much more of that we're going to continue to realize as we mature as, as kind of a human race and technology develops and, and our, our knowledge base develops. It's kind of interesting to consider. But at the end of the day, there is a lot of conversation in our culture right now that is centered around what cannot be kind of labeled as objective fact, right? It's I feel this or I sense this. And that that is a very subjective type of statement to make. And I tend to want to be able to base my decisions uh, intelligently on objective fact. Uh, that is a That's a personal approach that I like to take. I think the, the waters can get muddied quite a bit if we're, if we're just kind of focused around feelings and, and ideas versus something that we can that we can prove. And if we spent most of our time focusing on the, the ideas that we know have been proven to work, uh, we'd be really, really successful. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about it, right? Yeah, it's and, and there's a lot of information there for the taking, but we'll we'll make sure to link specifically to this podcast. And there are so many options out there. It's easy to get carried away with it and then not actually do anything about it. If you can find even one or two resources to, to latch on to and actually apply to your life, go for it. And for, for all of our listeners, I mean, I know that we put out a lot of content here at the podcast. The last thing that I want to do is to just mindlessly put out content. But if you can take one or two or three pieces of information from an episode and go actually apply it to your life, you may be surprised at what you can accomplish. We'll make sure to listen to Mind Your Business. And I'm going to have to check that out, too. It sounds quite intriguing. Talk to me about this this topic of a marketing plan, Heidi, because as I mentioned earlier, we haven't really delved into this topic yet. And it's something that we could all stand to, to make time to create, especially if we haven't created one um, at least on an annual basis, if we update it, if we haven't ever created one before to create it, but it can be maybe a, a slightly overwhelming idea if we're not really familiar with the idea. So will you define it for us first? What is a marketing plan to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of people, you hear the term marketing plan and you think it's you know along the lines of business plans, this big, long document you put together and then it dies in your hard drive or in a drawer <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. But the way I approach creating a marketing plan is really trying to make as many of your marketing decisions as possible up front so that CEO version of you can hand the work over to worker version of you and you can just go and implement it. It's already mapped out. You just have to do it. Well, yeah, and that that goes back to the conversation that we had just a few minutes ago, which is that kind of alluded to the significance of that bigger picture view, right? So a marketing plan acts as the bigger picture view when it comes to how we're going to, to get our business out there, how we're going to get more business. And I like, I just really love this idea of taking the time to sit down for an hour or two or five, whatever it is, a weekend at some point during the year and being very, very, to borrow your earlier word, intentional about what it is you want to accomplish and then outlining how you're going to do that. And then you wake up each day or each week and instead of guessing at or just kind of floundering around and hoping you land on the right thing to do, you know exactly what it is you should be spending your time on. And I think that's often the struggle, right? It's no, 
knowing what to do. I mean, there are so many things we can do, True. but if you can be really thoughtful and really intentional and make those decisions, decisions up front, you don't have to make those decisions every single day. Uh, yeah. And that decision fatigue is a very, very real thing. I've been sensing it like more than ever, maybe as of late. Yeah, that's why picking what's for dinner is like the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a like ridiculous first world problem to, to have. But I, I know what you mean too. Like at the end of the day, I don't know that we were really wired as human beings to make whatever, it, you know, hundreds or thousands of decisions a day that in some cases we may be making, especially when we're running our own business. And it is it can be just truly exhausting. Uh, so to, to have taken the time to put very intentional time into planning it, planning ahead and letting that drive our actions, the, the way that we manage our time through the week, I think is really smart. Talk to me, and this may be a, uh, a kind of an obvious question to ask or almost rhetorical question to ask, but what are the benefits of a marketing plan besides enabling us to have kind of a map uh, for behavior through our work week? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's going to give you clarity and focus because of the fact that it's telling you what to do and when and where and how and why. Uh, but there are some other benefits to it. I think my favorite is that it allows you to do more of what's working and less of what's not because you know, you know, you, part of it is measuring what's working and what's not. And we're also quick to add more things onto our plate when really like, okay, what if I could just leverage what I'm doing by like throwing either 10% more money or resources or time or effort at it, would that give me exponential growth as opposed to piling on other things? So a big focus of the way I teach creating a marketing plan is looking at what is already working. What can we do to make that harder for, make that work harder for you rather? And what does that allow you to do? You know, that means you don't have to keep up with everything. That means you don't have to utilize every marketing tactic and platform out there, just the ones that are most important for reaching your ideal client and the ones that are working for you. Sure, you can have an experiment, but I always tell people to keep that to, you know, like one experiment per quarter. <laughs> yeah. So you, don't get, you know, too crazy with it. And you actually look at the results and see what happened. But I think that is my most valuable piece uh, that I bring when the way that I teach creating a marketing plan, because you have all of this information, you have all this data in your business. And every time you do something, you get feedback in some form of whether it works or whether it doesn't work. And if you plan based on that, you it gets easier over time. You have the, that cumulative information over time to act on as opposed to, you know, that, that fresh hell of every morning of like, okay, what am I going to do today? Oh God, I have no idea. But, you know, honestly, this begs a question, how do you think, and we'll speak to photographers specifically here, um, is this is a photography or photographer centric podcast, but what, how should photographers be collecting that so-called data? Because numbers are important. And I've, I realized this kind of late in my entrepreneurial career, and, and now I, I love it. I mean, it's the, the, the significance of being able to go into the reporting system, for example, that we have for photographers edit and look at data and, as you were saying, make 
decisions and not just random decisions, not intuitive decisions, but data-driven decisions based on real information um, about our marketing efforts. It's so wonderful to be able to do that, again, very intentionally, not blindly, not guessing. And yet, that's not the norm, I don't think, for many photographers. Tra- the idea of tracking numbers, whether it's financials or data associated with their website, conversion rates or otherwise, how, what are the most effective, and this is a really a podcast episode in and of itself, but just off the top of your head, two or three things that photographers can do to track the data so they can make intelligent decisions about a marketing plan. I think a really important thing about tracking your data is, I mean, obviously a spreadsheet is super helpful because you can use formulas, but if you are not going to use a spreadsheet, then don't try to do it in a spreadsheet. You know, if you're more of a pen and paper person, draw out a spreadsheet and map it that way. If that's the way you're actually going to do it, because what matters is that you're actually doing it, not how you're doing it. Well, um, yeah, and I would say that most, uh, I would venture that most photographers that are getting started right now probably aren't familiar with spreadsheet equations. I, I, spreadsheets are incredibly powerful. I've seen the power of them, and they're capable of probably even way more than I've ever seen. But I never was trained on spreadsheets, and I, I would venture that many are, are not used to using spreadsheets or don't know much about formulas for the sake of using spreadsheets effectively. So, are there particular tools? I mean, I think immediately, of course, of QuickBooks, because I know that for a lot of photographers, at least that have been in the business in in years past, spreadsheets was a normal thing for tracking numbers. But you have a tool like QuickBooks that is like is easy enough for a a third grader to use it if, if they wanted to. Why not use something that's specifically designed for tracking your financials, for example, or a tool specifically designed for tracking analytics on your website or some of the other data sets or data points that we need to collect? Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And I'm a big fan of Google Analytics. It's free. It's filled with information to help you make decisions. And you can just go in at any point, you know, as long as you have it installed on your website and look at that information and you can figure out the answers to all sorts of questions like, you know, a common question, why am I not getting leads? Okay, well, we can go in and we can find out where traffic is falling off and what we might be able to change in order to make sure people get through the whole process of looking through the website and contacting you. Or maybe it's that you find that you're getting a ton of traffic from one particular source and that's doing really well for you. They're filling out your contact form and I would say, you know, where the manual tracking comes in is when you actually book someone or when you look at your favorite clients is looking at, okay, where did they come from? But that can be super simple. That can be on a piece of paper. That can be on a whiteboard. You know, just how many of your greatest and most amazing clients that you wish you could clone came from referral, came from Pinterest, came from Google search. That tells you what to lean into. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great and very simple and concise way to, to go about looking at it. You, you could, if for those of you listening in, if you are not actively tracking this type of data right now in one form or another, you coming up on the end of the year. One of the things you can do in a year end review is to go back and look at your clients, and you could again, you could create a spreadsheet or you could just write it down on paper, list all your clients' names, and write next to them how they heard about you. And if you have to go, you know, give them a call or send them a message to find out, do that. 
mm-hmm. make that list, and then you've got a good picture of where the majority of your business is coming from, and you know not only where you need to put more effort, but potentially where to just double down. Um, and we we do this with photographers edit, probably an average of about forty six to forty eight percent or so of our our new accounts right now come from photographer referrals. And and then and it breaks down from there. We we look at you know Google for example, new accounts from Google, uh, from Facebook ads, from the Boca podcast, etc. And we're able to see where our traffic is coming from, or or our new accounts are coming from, and then make decisions about our marketing efforts accordingly. And it's it's so empowering to be able to do that. And this is just source of business. Again, if you look at your financials and and look at those numbers in detail at the end of the year, see where you're making the most money where you maybe you're spending the most money, where you're losing money, you can make intelligent decisions about your business and, and ultimately marketing efforts in, in that regard as well. But tracking the data, it's so, so important. The benefits of a marketing plan, clarity and focus. Uh, and then it ultimately encourages you to, to understand what's working, which is really, really cool. Drawbacks of not having a marketing plan. Again, this may be a bit obvious, but what would you say those are, Heidi? I would say it's largely that you are waking up every day not knowing, you know, that awful, that awful blank cursor, you know, like, I need to write something, I need to post something on social media, I need to do something. And that's hard. So I am going to get distracted by this other thing, because I'm trying to escape something that is unnecessarily hard, which is totally understandable. I do it too. (laughs) It's just you trying to make your life easier. But if we do this ahead of time, then you don't have that feeling, you know, you don't have that feeling of just like, well, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just stuck. I'm just lost. Instead, you have, okay, it seems like if I do X, I'll probably get Y as a result. So let's test that and see. It becomes much more like emotionally removed, much more scientific, I guess, because the way you're kind of looking at this is, okay, that works. Let's let's keep doing that. Let's do more of that. And it's less of that emotional. Uh, and I'm saying emotional from a perspective of not just what you feel like you should be doing, but also like that panic and that overwhelm. Yeah. Like those are all emotions we want to avoid as much as possible. Yeah. And if you don't have a plan, those those emotions come up a lot more often. Ah, that's interesting. That's a great point. What If we're going to put this marketing plan in place, I mean, I think we've painted a pretty clear picture um, not only the benefits, but also the pain points that could come from not having a marketing plan. We want to put a marketing plan in place. Is there any kind of pre-work, some homework that needs to be done prior to actually putting that plan together? And I, we've already alluded to the significance of becoming aware of numbers of data. Is there anything else that needs to be done? Yeah. So in so there are five parts, which we're going to dig into. But one of the most important pieces is the second part and it's called your research and this is so incredibly important most people speed right past it and go to okay what am i going to post and where and when those kinds of things like the how of how you market but the reason why marketing works or doesn't work is whether or not it is a good fit for your ideal client so In that second step, I really encourage all of the people that I work with to actually go interview 
their best clients that they've ever had. It could, you know, just be a couple of people that you reach out to and you ask them all sorts of questions from, you know, where did you find me? Why did you decide to work with me? Why me instead of another photographer? What else did you consider? What was really important to you? All these things to get a really clear picture of, you know, like I said earlier, we are solving problems, but we have to solve the right problems. Yeah. I had a client uh, who's a wedding planner and all of her marketing was really focused around this idea of you don't have enough time. Let me help you save time. And when she actually did this interview process, she realized that was like priority number nine for her people. And the most important thing for them is at least one member of the couple was Indian and was usually one of the youngest in the family. So had been to a million weddings and they didn't want the same cookie cutter Indian wedding. They wanted Indian culture, Indian heritage, Indian tradition, but they wanted it their way. And as soon as she started marketing based on this personalization meets cultural tradition, Mm. she booked up like crazy. But that wouldn't happen without the conversation. I mean, you have to kind of set ego aside and your ideas and ideals aside a little bit and, and find out what your clients or potential clients actually want. Yeah. Figuring out like, okay, what really matters to you? And I mean, with some people, you may be able to ask them point blank, but a lot of times you're going to have to just be curious and do some digging around why they made the Mm. decision they made. Like, why you instead of someone else? What drew them to you? um, Why this particular package? What would you say to a friend if you were saying that they should work with me? Just to, you know, get some of their language and get a feel for what is the problem they want solved? Wow. Okay. So research, I mean, and and this can be done in a very practical way because probably most of our listeners are sole proprietors, they're photographers, portrait or wedding photographers, event photographers, uh, potentially commercial photographers as well, but they're working with clients uh, on a relatively individual basis where you have an opportunity to call them up and say, Hey, can I take you to coffee? I just want to get to know a little bit more about how, what your experience was like with my brand. Yeah. Um, and having those conversations uh, that that's a I love I love the notion of that uh, at photographers edit we've we've had the opportunity to work with thousands of photographers and the conversation is is a, a very broad one uh, that might need to be had to get kind of conclusive uh, or thorough information from that that those conversations but the one-on-one conversation is really appealing to me and for those of you listening in you should do this very much so whether you're just starting your business maybe well into it and you want to get a good feel for where your business is at what's doing well what it's not doing so well maybe how you need to adjust your messaging do the research have the conversations that's really important but Heidi you alluded to four other components of a good marketing plan and you said that was the second one so let's go back to number one if you will Yeah. So number one, first and foremost, is your goal. What are you trying to accomplish? And that goal needs to have a number attached to it because more clients, more weddings, Mm. you want a hundred more? Do you want one more? Which one are you going to be happy with? Yeah. So we have to set some sort of quantifiable number and it could be more clients. It could be more revenue. It could be uh, you want to work 50% less weddings and shift that to your associate photographer. You know, whatever that is, it just needs to have a number of some sort attached to it. 
so you can check yourself and kind of stop and take the pulse to see, are you headed in the right direction? Are you on track? Yeah, the specificity is really important too, because if, if like you said, if it's very general, if it's kind of vague, I just want to do better or I want to get more fill in the blank. That doesn't give you something tangible to grab a hold of to work toward. And when you have a specific number and, and you know, ideally, and maybe you're going to get into this idea, if there's a, a revenue number that you're going for for the year, maybe you can break that into a you know, quarterly basis. I'm shooting for this number. And then the next quarter, I'm shooting for this number. It gives you something very specific to work toward. And, and you, you're able to translate that to action, right? I need to book this number of clients in order to make this much money, this kind of thing. So specificity makes those goals seem much more attainable and likely they will be more attainable when you get specific with it, but you have to be clear about what it is you actually want. And that's great. And that again, minimizes that kind of haphazard approach to business that you were talking about earlier, Heidi. So that's good. So start with the goal, then the research. And of course, having individual conversations, really, really important. What's the third thing? Well, before I move on to the third, there are a lot of, well, not a lot. There are a few different components of the research okay. and going to give you guys a link to a training that goes really deep into all of this. Oh, perfect. End. Okay. So yeah. And we'll put that in the show notes too. For those of you um, that are curious, Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. We'll put it in the show notes there. Okay. So the other part that I really like about the research stage is doing a competitive analysis, not doing it from the standpoint of I should be more like them or what are they doing? Like, you know, that that place that we all go to, but uh, going into it with more of a detective's mindset of, okay, what's going on here and where are the opportunities? Because there are always opportunities. So you may find that based on what you've learned about your ideal client, the people you thought your competitors are not actually your competitors. Mm can be uh, more like friendly referral partners that you can send people to if they're a better fit for them and vice versa. You can also see what your competition is doing in terms of their marketing. So how they're communicating, you know, what words they're using, are they being clear? Where are they marketing? Sometimes when people go through this, they find that their biggest competitors are really single-mindedly focused on one thing like Instagram or like Facebook. And as a result, all of the other platforms are up for grabs Mm. because there isn't actual competition there in terms of, you know, having your competition in that same kind of marketplace with you. Yep. So this really allows you to find all sorts of different opportunities that you can tap into, looking at, you know, how they're doing what they're doing. Can you do it better? Can you do it different? Essentially, you know, where they zig, you want to zag to really make yourself stand out. But you can't stand out if you don't know what they're doing. So that really helps to help you make the decisions that you need to make about how you're going to market. Maybe they speak in this very ethereal tone that feels very disconnected and you want to have a more personal approach. That's probably going to make you feel more emboldened to take that approach because no one else is doing it. You can stand out in that way. So this helps you identify all those holes, all those places and all those opportunities that you can take advantage of. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, as much as there's conversation and has been now for some time in our industry about community over competition, and that's great. And I think it should continue. Uh, there is a very simple reality, which is while we as photographers might look at it that way, the, our, our potential clients are still shopping the market, right? And so fellow photographers are technically competition, and we need to figure out how we can distinguish ourselves from the so-called competition. And this type of awareness that Heidi is talking about is so important, and, and not to obsess over our competition, just to create a bit, some awareness. And doing this you know, every, whatever, whatever it is, three or four months, or every half year, or every year, just to create a little bit of awareness about not only what is being done so that we can play opposite of that, but the marketing. I'm so glad that you said this, Heidi, the, the marketing message. Um, it's funny because uh, I'll use Photographer's Edit again as an example. We've we've run on the, the platform and brand position, ultimately, of custom image editing now for a number of years. And in more recent times, uh, other companies in the space have kind of followed suit. And so now it's we're beginning to sound like the other ones, even though they were kind of following us. And so it's time for us to go now create a more distinct brand message, or at least in a more creative way, so that we don't just sound like, you know, copy and paste. Uh, it's important to have that kind of awareness so that you can clearly position yourself against the the competition. And, and again, no need to, to get obsessive about this word competition. However you look at it, your potential clients look at you as competition and you have to be able to clearly distinguish yourself. You'll be able to do that more effectively by being aware of how the market's behaving. So that's good. So set goals, do the research, uh, further research for the sake of competitive analysis. Just so you know, if ideal client doesn't like sit with you or doesn't immediately trigger what it's supposed to trigger to mind, you can always ask yourself, who is it that you want to be the go-to person for? I think that is a more human question, mm, <laughs> more yeah. normal way yeah. of phrasing it. And then you can see like, okay, who are my my competitors go to people for? Cool. Okay. Very good. So part three is really tied to this. It's your messaging. It's how you communicate what you have to offer, why it is of value, how it's different, why someone should work with you. So it's all of the copy, all of the language and the way that you communicate. After you do the research and you know who you're targeting and you know who your competitors are targeting, this becomes a lot easier. It gets a lot clearer. But I think the most important thing you can do is go through what you already have with a fine tooth comb and compare it to what your best clients told you they loved about you or told you they were looking for when they decided to work with you. Because a lot of times these things are not obvious to us because they're just part of who we are and how we think and how we work. So we really need to make sure that we are playing up what it is that they really loved about us in our copy on our website and really selling that. Yeah. But again, to reiterate what you were saying to the awareness of what the competition is saying, because you know one of the popular things, I mean, it's been said so many times here on the podcast, um, guests that I've had on. And if you look at websites, uh, there's a similar theme, which is about relationships. And if everybody is talking about the importance that they place on relationships with their clients, now you're sounding the same as everybody else. Or if everybody's talking about how they like coffee and and lattes and and eating you know whatever snack is the, the most popular thing they talk about if everybody's doing it on their website you sound like everybody else so yeah. 
awareness is really important as far as competition is concerned. Awareness is important as far as your goals, your overarching goals for your business. And those two things will help determine then the messaging. It's not just about being cute and sounding trendy and doing whatever celebrity photographer is doing. You need to be clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish and and what your competition is doing, and then create very clear, simple messaging that doesn't take you know 20 minutes to sift through, but that somebody can read in a few seconds and they know immediately what it is that you offer, what problem it is that you're solving, just like Heidi demonstrates on her site. Yeah, that you have that immediate feeling of, ooh, this person is for me, yeah. as opposed to this is a photographer. Yes, yes, exactly. And it, and that requires specificity again. So we have to, this is where that the significance of brand position comes in. Uh, but I, I know our listeners hear me talk about that way too much. So Heidi, I'm going to let you keep going. Uh, messaging <laughs> was number three. What's number four? Yeah. So number four, this is the part that everybody jumps to when they think about marketing. And I just very simply call this the how. This is where you're going to market. It's how you're going to market. It's when, where, what, all of those things. So if you decide, okay, I am going to publish a blog post once a week and here are my list of topics and this is how I'm cycling through them, or I'm going to post to Instagram three times a week and here are the the categories that those fall into. So Monday is for this kind of post, Wednesday is for this kind of post, Friday is for this kind of post. And then I'm going to do stories on Tuesday that are more behind the scenes. So where are you marketing and what are you doing there? And the where I really like to push people to limit themselves to three that they've been doing. If you know, you have that kind of history that you're comfortable with and one experiment. And I just ask people to commit to that for 90 days. Then you have a long enough period where you have the data, you have the information to show you, okay, is this starting to work or is this absolutely blowing it out of the water or is this not doing anything and is it worth continuing? Now, the, the how question is also a very broad one. Though. Can you give examples of, of certain things that, that, these, that photographers might be experimenting with as far as the, the actionable marketing efforts? Yeah. So as an experiment, you may decide, okay, I want to work on getting more traffic to my website from Google. So my experiment for the next 90 days is I am going to spend every Monday afternoon working on these various SEO efforts. And at the end of the 90 day period, I'm going to check to see, am I getting more traffic out of it or not? Okay. And so that's a really tangible example. And I, I mean, to be clear, Heidi, this is something that, that um, Heidi can delve into in more detail. Certainly the link that we post in the show notes, but you may need some follow-up consultations with Heidi. And, and of course, we'll share her contact information here at the end of the episode so you can understand this in a little bit more detail. So we started with setting a goal, um, researching both in conversation with with past clients as well as doing competitive analysis establishing a very clear and distinct message and then experimenting with and ultimately deciding how we're going to go about marketing effectively. And then what's number five? 
So number five is the oft forgotten measuring. So what I tell people to do is, you know, this is one of those things you have to make the decision. Now you have to put in your calendar. I like to do once a week, a weekly CEO check-in with myself for like 15 minutes to see what's going well, what's not, what have I learned that I can improve upon next week? What do I need to tweak? Uh, And the same goes for a monthly check-in and that can be a little bit broader, you know, looking at those numbers and seeing, are you getting what you thought you were going to get? This is all experimentation. So because you're testing things, you have to look at the results and make decisions based on, based on those, you know, what you need to change. Do you need to do more of something? Do you need to do less of something? And then at the end of a 90 day period, I really like people to go through an entire review of what it is that they've been doing and the results that they've gotten from it. And that's where you're going to make those higher level decisions of, okay, for something like SEO, for that example, this experiment might need a little bit more time to yield results. So I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Or I've been spending all this time on Pinterest and I'm not getting anything out of it. So I'm either going to change how I'm doing it. I'm going to change the how and come back again, or I'm going to drop it entirely. And so by going through this 90 day cycle and looking at those key performance indicators at the end tied to your goal. So is it more leads? Is it more bookings? Is it more traffic to the website? You know, whatever it is, what is impacting that? Which of the things that you're doing are having the biggest impact on that and can work even harder for you. Yep. And and that goes back again to just being aware of the data and, and we have to actually take the time to do that. And maybe it, it doesn't sound artistic enough for, you know, some of you who are like, man, I'm, I just wanted to be a photographer. I'm an artist. But the reality is if you're going to run a business, you can still be an artist. And in fact, if you spend even a little bit of time on, on these ideas, these components of a good marketing plan, uh, you'll be able to have the 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 financial and and, and uh, business growth that will enable you further freedom. Um, to- I would argue you get to free up so much space in your head that you have so much extra capacity for creative thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it'll literally give you the space for that. So I um, this this idea of art and business, you know, can't coexist. Uh, we need to kind of set that aside. Um, they are mutually beneficial. And this right here is, I mean, these these important components, goal, setting goals, doing the research, establishing clear and distinct messaging, um, a how, how to go about implementing the information you've collected for the sake of, of actually going out and marketing and then measuring the results to further refine your, your marketing efforts. This is really, really important stuff. And, and you'll see benefits both in business and on the artistic side in the end. So I really appreciate you sharing this information and, and both from your knowledge and experience, Heidi. And for those who are curious to follow your brand, to listen to your podcast, maybe to learn a little bit more directly and individually from you, how can they go about um, getting that information? Yeah. So my home on the web is at evolveyourweddingbusiness.com and you can get access to a training that goes a lot deeper into creating your marketing plan at evolveyourweddingbusiness.com slash webinar. And when it comes to social media, I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me at, you guessed it, Evolve Your Wedding Business. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll link to those uh, all in the show notes at Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. Thank you so much, Heidi, for making time for the Boca podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.